This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Oakshade Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man, your host, Welcome to season five. Here we go. This podcast is brought to you by discipline, delayed gratification, and being accountable to yourself. This podcast is about finding the high road, working hard every day, creating the best possible version of yourself. Our values are faith, family, fitness, finances, elk hunting, and career. Our guiding principles are authenticity, transparency, and out hustling the competition. Our podcast is brought to you by Buck Knives, Onyx Hunt, Vortex Optics, Wilderness Athlete, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Crispy USA, Matthews Archery, Kufaru International, and BlackOvis.com. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man. Hope you're doing well. We have an awesome guest for you guys today. His name is Brad Taylor, a.k.a. Backcountry Cardio. This guy is a legitimate marathon runner slash elk hunter. The elk do not have a chance with this guy's endurance. This guy's seriously a freak. He's got an incredible VO2 max. I think he said it was 70. And it's a fun listen to hear his philosophy. It couldn't be any further from mine, but it also has the same common denominator of being consistent, finding what works for you, and being relentless, and making time for your fitness Even when you have little kids, this guy's a stay-at-home dad, he's got little ones, and he runs way early during nap times, evenings, and he's also very like methodical, surgical on his training, his nutrition, his recovery. This is a fun listen. This is a cool discussion. We're talking about backcountry fitness as it pertains to elk hunting. This is dear and near to my heart. I hope you enjoy it as well. Without further ado, this is Brad Taylor, and you're listening to the Elk Shape Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Oakshade Podcast. Uh, me, Dan, the fitness man. We are actually recording this on Christmas Eve, which is kind of pathetic, but this is what we had to do to line out our schedules. <clears throat> on the other line is Brad. Brad, you are um, 
on Instagram, I think as backcountry cardio. Is that correct? Uh, yes, sir. Yep. All right. With, with that as your handle, I knew we had to get going on a podcast for sure. Um, introduce yourself. Yeah. So my name's Brad, uh, you know, and I, I love elk hunting, love to run. Uh, currently, uh, became a stay-at-home dad, uh, which is kind of crazy. Um, you know, I live in Colorado, so I get kind of the best of everything when it comes to running, comes to hunting, uh, just just really enjoying life these days and uh, training a lot, which is a blast. Right on. So stay-at-home dad. Let's, let's hear the good. Let's hear the bad. Okay, so the good is I get to see my kids every day. There's their, uh, let's see, three and a half and one and a half. Uh, the bad is, so I, I actually, I had my own Les Schwab tire center before this and you being from Washington probably knows, know what that is. Um, and I opened one here in Colorado and I had to work just a ton of hours. And we did that for almost 10 years. And my wife had a good job at the time and we didn't want to move. So I decided, well, I'll stay home with the kids, uh, not too long ago. And it is the hardest thing I've ever done. Like I thought working a lot at Les Schwab was hard, but being on the go 24 seven with kids, like there's no break, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, you don't, you don't get that moment to just, uh, sit back. Cause at three and a half, it's always like, dad, can you play with me? Can you play with me? Can can you do this? Can you do that? And it's just like, man, and, and it's, it's constant, constant, uh, you know, worry almost like, okay, well I can hear them around the corner. What are they doing? You know, you never sit back and just relax where at work I could kind of just, okay, you know what? I'm just going to sit here for 10 minutes and do nothing. I'm going to look at Instagram and do nothing, not listen, not anything. And, uh, that that's all gone. You know, with, with, when you're watching your kids, it's like, okay, I'm busy all day. Yeah. (laughs) uh, And they're, they're in the, you guys said three and, and, and one and a half. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I mean, there's no downtime whatsoever. Uh, they're not in school. Like we can't wait for Christmas break to be over. And we've only, this is week one. We got another week of this. And, uh, yeah, for, for those that don't have kids and are probably like, yeah, whatever guys, I'm not interested in hearing about that. You, you should listen up because your day's coming. If you plan on having kids, uh, they're hard. They're, they're awesome. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's no joke. Les Schwab know very yeah. well. Like, you know, I've gotten lots of tires and stuff from Les Schwab. I didn't know they were they a franchisee. You were you no, were a franchise or how no, that work? I, I, I just worked my way up into management. And then uh when I was, I don't know, four or five years into the company, I I I have always wanted to better myself, you know, the next step. What's the next step? And uh, so basically I raised my hand. I said, how do I, how do I open my own? And they laid it out in front of me. And, you know, I, I, uh, got on what's called the the management list and they interview, I don't know, a hundred, hundred people or something. And they allow so many on. And then if you're lucky enough, they pick you for a store and they did here in Colorado. Uh, and we fell in love with it. You know, I'm from Oregon originally, Eugene area. Okay. okay up, that makes sense. Yeah. Born, born and raised in Eugene. Um, so we moved out here and in the front range area and, and just ended up really loving it. Uh, and the next step would have been to move again. And I kind of was like, I don't want to move again. I don't, I don't want this uh, lifestyle of, you know, you're on call all the time. There's always customers, you know, that, that need something. And it's, and, it, and, and when you've got a boss, like you don't, you don't necessarily 
So like I've, I've taken work calls on Christmas Eve. Right. And it's one of those things where, yeah, I didn't have to, but had I not, it probably would have looked poorly on me. And I just got kind of tired of that. Like, okay, this, this is my whole life. And I have a boss telling me when I can vacation, when I can't vacation, stuff like that. So it's just like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, it's 10 years and it, I want to spend time with my kids. So that's, that's when we made the decision. Yeah, man. Uh, Dirk Durham, good friend of mine, the bugler works Phelps game calls, Yep. Uh, you know, manager. Yep. <clears throat> he, did you ever run, a, run into him at all back in your days? Cause he was in the same boat, like managing, I think he worked his way up to managing a store and man, did he burn out? They, they worked him to the bone. Right. So, so Dirk is uh, probably a decade or, well, how old is Dirk? Like probably 50, 45. I don't know, somewhere around there. Maybe I'm oh, giving I love, him. yeah, I don't, I don't think he's quite 50. He's a few okay. years out from 50, but I'm so glad you said that because he will listen to this and, uh, sorry, Dirk, but no, he ain't 50 yet. So, uh, yeah, he's older than me. I'm, I'm 33, but, uh, yeah. It, so when you're, when you're working up, uh, like as an assistant, you're required to work a minimum of 61 and a half hours a week. Good God. And, well, which, which isn't a 61 hour week isn't a big deal, but when you're required to every week, and then they actually send you out a, uh, like a memo that says, well, you were under by an hour, like you have to make that up. And it just kind of, it was, it was like that, that just constant worry about, okay, well, I want to go elk hunting for six days and I, I've only got, you know, X amount of vacation time. Now I'm going to, I'm going to take an unpaid day. I have to make these eight hours up. Like in that, it just burns you out. It just, it just got old. Yeah. And the other thing about the, that store specifically is it seems like most people that work at Les Schwab, cause I've talked to lots of guys that do, they don't get consecutive days off. It's like you get a day here, uh, we expect right. you to come in on Saturdays. That's tough, man. When you have to like kind of have one day to reset and then you're back into the grind. Yeah. And it's, you know, we, when we, when I was doing it, uh, you know, especially in management, you know, I get there at six every morning and then I would work until six every evening. That's 12 hours. So if you do uh, five of those one week, six to next, uh, you're way over your 61 hours a week, but that's what they expected. But if a customer is there at six thirty at night, I'm not going home. You know, there were times we were working on cars until nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And I started at six. And again, it's not, it's not a big deal to do that. If you're allowed, like, Hey, I worked a hundred hours last week, this week, I'm going to, I'm going to lay low a little bit, you know, I'm going to recover, but it's like, Nope, sorry. You don't get that chance. You're you, you need to hit your 61 hours this week. Um, so yeah, it just, it was a lot and I missed out on a lot and I wanted to do more running and time with my family. And so I looked at the wife and we decided let's do this. Yeah, man. So you are an elk hunter. It looks like you have yeah. a domain, like you bought the domain yeah. backcountrycardio.com. Yeah. So what are you, what are you, what are you up to over there at the old backcountrycardio.com? Uh, kind of a lot. So it, I, I'm building it myself, which I've never had any uh, instruction on how to do a website. So it's, you know, from the ground up type thing, just learning. But right now I'm, I'm, I'm sharing people's elk hunting stories because with kids, I don't get a ton of time to do it. Uh, we don't have any family out here or anything to watch our kids. So there's not, not a ton of time for me to do it, uh, but I really enjoy it. Uh, and I don't want to miss out on things. So I, you know, contact people, I have them write up short stories. Uh, and I, I still get to be part of that. Uh, and on the side of that, it's going to be uh, a lot of kind of training cardio type stuff to help elk hunters that are looking to better their fitness in that aspect. A big aspect that's kind of missed uh, in the hunting world 
you know, cardio kind of gets a bad rap. Sometimes I think they, they instantly think, okay, well, I'm going to be skinny. I don't want to be skinny, which is kind of far from the truth. So the website's going to be kind of hunting stories, uh, lots of training. And as I progress with it here a little bit more, uh, especially when the kids start school, there's going to be more in-depth articles on training, running. Uh, I want to branch out into like shoe reviews for people and just, to, just bring a lot of good information to it. I hope. I love it, man. That's really cool. You're in a position to, to hustle on your side hustle. And when it has to pertain to stuff you love, i.e. conditioning, running, elk hunting, yeah. I mean, the more the merrier. So I'm all about that, man. Um, we'll have to get into your phil- philosophies and, and kind of how you do it and more about the website. But first, let's yeah. talk about your elk hunting pedigree. Tell us about your journey, your elk hunting learning curve. I love learning about that with everybody I talk to. Okay. So yeah, uh, I grew up, like I said, in Eugene and elk hunting. I didn't, I grew up in the Cascades and the Cascade elk hunting is, is pretty tough. Like most people either hunt the coast or Eastern Oregon. Uh, so when I was younger in high school, I didn't do a lot of elk hunting cause I was running so much and I didn't have the time to drive to the coast or Eastern Oregon. And then Cascades, um, you know, we had a little bit of success in the Cascades, but then as I got older, I really wanted to branch into like true backcountry hunting. Okay. So when I was, I don't know, 19, 20, 21, whatever age, uh, I decided I'm going to do a seven or eight day, uh, backcountry hunt with my buddy, uh, in the Eagle cap wilderness there in Northeast Oregon. And this is, you know, a decade ago, but, uh, we got in there. I had no real idea what I was going to do, but I hiked into this area that was 10 miles. According to the map, I camp out And for the first three days, I don't even see an elk track. And I'm like, I don't know what to, you know, I don't know what to do. But I told my buddy, I was like, look, elk move, right? There's other hunters. They're going to get pushed around a little bit. I said, this canyon's massive. I I can't imagine we're not going to get into elk in here. And like day four comes and I I let out a bugle in the evening. And it's just like the old, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Carlton, Wayne Carlton, um, you know, like hose. And uh, I let it out and uh, an elk answers me and it's like a hundred yards away. I mean, my buddy look at each other. We're like, Holy crap. <laughs> like, like did, did this happen? And then I hear another one down the Canyon. And so I let out another one. And at this point I'm just bugling back and forth. Like I don't even have any, any like thought process on like, okay, how am I actually going to call this elk in? Where am I going to hide? You know, where am I going to set up? Nothing. Just bugle back and forth. And all of a sudden there's like five or six bulls around me. And they are going nuts. And I've got this all on film. I've got one video on my page of the bull I finally call in. But I, my, my buddy David says, uh, you know, he says, Brad, there, there's an elk right there. And he's coming this way. So I can't even see him. I'm, I'm too excited to listen to elk everywhere. And this bull walks in and I catch him turning around. And I'm like, oh, crap, you know. And, and uh, so I kind of run up towards where it went. And I bugled again. He answers right back. And then he comes down the hill. And he comes out behind this tree and I'm at full draw and my buddy's filming behind me. And it's a great, great video. And this elk is lets out a bugle and a chuckle right in front of me. And I didn't end up getting a shot because my angle is a little bit off. Uh, but from that day forward, seeing that bull bugle in front of me at like, I don't know what it was, 40 yards. I didn't even have a range finder. Like this was all new to me, like true backcountry archery elk hunting. And so luckily I didn't shoot because I, probably would have missed or wounded him. And 
it was just hooked though. Hearing that bugle that close, seeing it on film the next day, looking at this big five point bull in the back country, it was just everything you could imagine other than getting a tag on it. So that's where it, that's where it hooked me. And that was where my journey really started, you know, and then we came out to Colorado and Colorado, I think is a great place to hunt elk, but I don't think it's what everybody makes it out to be. Uh, but I came out here in the first year, me and my wife, uh, hiked in, uh, to wilderness, uh, with some llamas, six or seven miles. And I ended up killing a, like a 318 or 320 bull the very first day here in Colorado. So that kind of really got me going on this elk hunting thing. <laughs> and then ever oh, since yeah. it's been, a, it's, 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 it's been a rabbit hole, you know, ever since then to go whenever I can. I just love it. Yeah. That is a great story that <clears throat> the Eagle caps are. Eastern Oregon, for those listening, um, now going forward, they're going to break those units up. They're going to they're going to lower that allotment of non-residents. So Oregon was kind of a free for all, similar to Colorado at the time right. of this recording, where you know you could just roll into Walmart, get yourself an Eastern Oregon tag, and go go crush the Eagle caps or whatever. Um, Cam Haynes kind of put it on the map in his writings back in the early two thousands when um, he was doing those backcountry hunts in there. And so it's beautiful country. It, uh, I think they're going to break it up into maybe five units. I don't know guys. I I'm not the expert. I haven't done my homework, but I do know things have changed in Oregon and for 2022. And I believe the regs are going to be out or they might be out right now. So if you were like, oh, Eastern Oregon's my backup option. And, you know, Oregon is a great state for elk hunting. You do have to choose which side of the state, which often means you got to choose. Are you going for rosies or you're going for Yellowstone elk? I personally have never hunted Oregon, which is crazy, right? Like it's right, right there. Um, I don't put in four points there. Uh, this year was Oregon was my backup option and I ended up getting a, a landowner tag in New Mexico regretfully. And I, the whole time I was in New Mexico on that crappy hunt, I was like, damn it. I wish I'd just gone to Eastern Oregon. But, um, the only problem with the Eagle caps now is you're going to have to decide which area. And then, um, they have wolves quite honestly. Right. It, and it's, there's no wolf management allowed in Oregon, just like my state Washington. So, and now, in the state that you're in, you guys have wolves. And did you see that they found the first cattle kill from a pack of wolves in Colorado? I did. That was uh, pretty wild. And I, I, I guess this will probably get out more and more. I seen uh, Steve Renelia said something about it or meat eater, one of his, one of his pages, but he, he mentioned, why are we putting more in it? They're already here. Uh, and I, I, I feel the same way. I, I mean, I know all hunters go back and forth on wolves, you know, some, some think, you know, I, I feel like, Certain areas with wolves, it it's still okay with elk, uh, you know, like in Wyoming, stuff that has big country. Colorado doesn't have this massive country like Wyoming and and places. Uh, we're very accessible here. Uh, so yeah. I think we'll, I think it, it's not the right setup for wolves. So I just don't really understand why we're putting more in if they're already here. It, it just uh, is odd to me. But I voted against it and it's still passed. So I, I can't do anything about it now. Well, it's interesting. We're going to get into ballot box management. It wasn't on my list of things to talk to you, but you're experiencing it. Um, what's your thoughts on like, I guess, hunter recruitment, considering it looks like some of these 
practices are kind of now going towards ballot box management where you'll have the bigger demographics make the decisions for the entire state, uh, which is what happens in my state here in um, right. in Washington. We our decisions are made in Olympia. Olympia is right. right next to Seattle. Um, you live in Oregon. You've probably experienced it with Portland being the main hub of population. You go to Eastern Oregon. Everybody's pretty much their philosophies, their polit- you know, their politics are on the other end of the spectrum compared to Portland. Same with where I'm at. Eastern Washington is completely different than right. Western, but all the decisions for the state are made over there. And so uh, with ballot box management and hunter recruitment, um, and basically in lieu of Matt Rinella's article that kind of stirred the pot, what's your thoughts on ballot box and hunter recruitments? Uh, I think the ballot box thing is a slippery slope because like you said, it, it's all controlled by the big cities. Like here it's Denver, you know, Denver's got, I don't know, 4 million, 3 million people, whatever the, I, I haven't looked, but whatever it is, it's a lot of people. And, and the front range kind of controls most of the state. Well, most of the state, uh, you know, most of this Northern part doesn't really hunt compared to how many people there are. Uh, so I think that's, that's a slippery slope to go down. I think as hunters, we have to, I think we have to do a better job uh, with things. And this isn't to bash on anybody when I say this, but I see certain pages uh, on Instagram that show really poor images of animals getting killed. I feel like when you have stuff out there as hunters and some of these pages are pretty big, uh, you know, lots of followers and it just, it, I feel like that that goes against us. So we get these, we get a lot of hunters that say, you know, I, I have so much respect for the animal and the majority of them do, but then these pages will, you know, show like a, a ball sack of the deer, you know, nut sack of the deer. And it's like, they're going to use that against us, right? Like they're the people that are going to be against hunting are using this stuff against us. Even if those people that have the pages, you know, do a great job in the hunting community, I think we've got to be better uh, about what we show out there. Uh, you know, I see muley tines, they've got a like 80,000 person page, something like that. And, you know, there was an image on there the other day, of this guy riding a bull elk that was killed. And some of the comments were, why are you showing this? You know, this is not, not what we want. So I think, I think if we want to combat stuff, we have to get better about how we uh, show our success. Some, some of it, I mean, most of it's really good. Uh, but I think, I think some of, some of it hurts us and animal rights group are not going to use the, uh, respectable photos against us. You know, they're going to go with what's bad, like media, you know, would. So I think we need to get better about that. And I think, uh, with hunter recruitment, I think we really have to start branching out to other, industries um you know cam cam Haynes is he's into the running world right the ultra stuff uh that's a big big industry so my thought is is as i get a little bit more free time like i want to start branching out into that like recruiting more ultra people like maybe putting on a race at some point where where they see okay this guy's really into backcountry hunting he's really into the ultra world uh you know and show the respectfulness of what we do and how we do it, how we get our meat uh, and things like that. So that's, that's really where I think the recruitment's going to come from. And, and hopefully over time, uh, you know, we get more, more people seeing, seeing that side of stuff versus uh, you know, the, the, the poor pictures of dead animals, I think. 
Okay, so police our own better. Um, right, right. I, I think those are all valid points, and um, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that I think that's actually going to start happening quite a bit. Somebody sent me an email. I didn't even respond. And it's in kind of in the wake of all this pot stirring was like, they just basically said, I'm kind of one of the people out there that just does, I'm doing certain things wrong. And he kind of gave me a whole list of everything he didn't like that I was doing. It was tough. It was, I didn't respond. I had nothing nice to say back. I didn't agree with anything he wrote, but um, I wanted to reply and say, at least thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts. Like, you know, typing up an email, uh, that right. was, that, that's fine. Um, you're never going to make everyone happy. I know right. that. And, um, I always resort back to, okay, for me, I have so much work to do when it comes to like, just getting ready for 2022 elk season. Um, the slates wipe clean. I do a lot of training, nutrition, I mean, obviously make a lot of content that doesn't just have to do with killing elk. Like it's right. the whole thing like you, but, um, yeah, man, it, it definitely made me pause and think and um, am I hunting for the right reasons? And I'll be honest, man, like if there was no social media and I couldn't do elk shape, I would be totally fine with, I don't think anything would change. I'd still spend a lot of time in the gym and I would still like try to go elk hunting as much as possible. Um, but I'm certainly, I don't think I'm guilty of posting anything distasteful. However, it's definitely more and more on my radar to, to make sure that what I am putting out is positive. I know I have a lot of followers that are not hunters. Right. And I think people got to remember that. That's interesting. Now you said something about, you don't think Colorado's everything people make it out to be. Would you go a little deeper into that? Yeah. So we have, what do they say? I don't know, 280,000 elk, 300,000 elk, whatever it is. Uh, I think certain areas in Colorado are very good, but I think there is a, concentration of elk in certain areas that's high. So it, it kind of gives people this, if you hunt there, this unreal, uh, unreal expectation of how the whole state is because where I hunt, I mean, it's in a, a pretty great area and I can cover a lot of ground. I'm in shape and there'll be times you don't see any elk for, you know, you know, a day, two days, don't even jump anything. And I just, I, I think people have the image of, well, there's an elk behind every tree. And, you know, I listened to yours, your, and, um, Lane's podcast, uh, yeah. last, last, last week. And you guys kind of dove into how CPW is, you know, really looking for money. Um, I can't remember the details on the ballot he was doing. It was something about, uh, less, less non-resident hunters. Right. And he was saying that to get the, to get it to change, you had to get a ballot, um, or something. And, but he was, he, the way he took it was CPW wanted money. Uh, they, they thought they were going to lose money because the landowners joined in or something like that. Is that correct? Yeah, I think ultimately he was campaigning for non-resident caps, like none right, of this right. unlimited overcrowding into, yeah, basically like getting more places to be like, require a point like they did in the South right. West corner right. or whatever. That was yeah. the gist I caught. Right. And then he was thinking that uh, something about money. Anyways, I sometimes think that they give the image out maybe of how many elk there are here kind of to recruit those non-resident hunters, you know, cause it is a lot of money. What's an elk tech 700 bucks. And, and there is more non-residents here than residents, yep. uh, you know, and, and it just, from my experience, yeah, I'll see a lot of elk at times, but then there's other times I, I question, is there really 300,000 elk here? Like that's a lot of elk. And when you can get up on these basins and look, 
over lots and lots of country and you're not seeing much, you know, I just, I, I kind of sometimes question how correct that number is. And, you know, maybe that's, that's why you do hear some people that come out here. Like I didn't see anything. Like it wasn't, it wasn't what I thought it was. Uh, and I, and it just, that image of Colorado, I don't think is completely true that there's elk behind every tree, uh, from my experience. Yeah. You got to remember distributions of elk are, are interesting. Like you could have that, that count could be accurate. Just like Montana's got a ton of elk, but they also have really generous hunting seasons that push the elk onto private. And then the private landowners are like, dude, what is up with all these elk on my property that, you know, tearing down my fences, eating my ag, whatever. Uh, And you got all the schmucks on public fighting for a handful of elk that actually didn't leave. And the same thing is going down in Colorado, man. Like those elk can get pushed onto private and there's private everywhere in Colorado too. I mean, you guys have a swath of public land, but uh, when you have, that many that the hunter density is so high, it definitely moves the elk around and elk are already nomadic by nature. Like you right. mentioned previously in your Oregon story. So yeah, right. that's, yeah, I don't yeah. have Colorado as one of my must go to spots, but I also don't live very close to Colorado. Like it is a legitimate journey to get over there. And then I'm driving past a lot of good States to get there. So it's not on my radar, but man, you guys are like kind of the hub for everybody Midwest and out East. Like you're the first state that they hit. Exactly. You know, and it can almost be discouraging. I think sometimes, and you're talking about hunter recruitment, you know, if you're a first time hunter and you show up to a trailhead and there's, you know, 50 cars there, it can almost be discouraging. You know, it's, it's like, man, I kind of thought that I, you know, you have this image of a backcountry wilderness hunt and you show up to the trailhead and it's like, I can't even find a parking spot at this trailhead. This is, you know, crazy. But, um, but it is, it is a beautiful state. I mean, there's definitely elk here. Uh, I just, there's a lot of hunters, um, you know, you're in lanes conversation was definitely, uh, spot on about how many non-residents show up here. So it was, it was a good listen. I, I recommend people listen to that a little bit if they're, if they're more interested into that stuff. Well, I definitely think we're up for some changes. Um, we'll see how it goes, but all in all, um, the infighting is what has disgruntled me so much. Like the divisiveness, like the, the quick to judge the quick to, you know, just tear each other apart. And, uh, right. there's already right. too much ego involved in hunting as it is, but yeah, right. I was interested to hear your thoughts on that. Um, well, you said you're like pretty good shape and you cover a lot of country. Yeah. What would you say your style of elk hunting is, is it, um, well, yeah, just, I don't want to put words in your mouth, oh, but yeah. break down your style. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I guess, uh, the, the Corey Jacobson style, you know, bugle, uh, don't hear anything, move on. You know, he, he's kind of talked about that a lot, how he, you know, he, he'll bugle and he wants to find the bull that bugles, right. He'll, he'll pass up, you know, an area. Okay. Nothing bugled, nothing's ready. I'm going to go to the next area. Um, of course he's, he's really good and probably knows times not to do that, but, um, you know, that's kind of what I've done. And it's never, it's never necessarily failed me. Uh, you know, there's maybe times probably I would have found more elk that I slowed down, uh, you know, hunted one area, maybe a little bit more. Uh, but, but yeah, I love getting on ridges and just going, you know, I I'm, I'm in very good shape and I can cover a ton of ground and I'll, I don't know how many times I've bugled in a day, you know, and it, it's, I, I'm sure I've bugled a hundred times in a day easily. And I've always told my hunting partner, I said, if we sound like an elk, why, why are they going to leave? I've listened to elk bugle 
tons of times in the mountains, you know, just nonstop. And, and sure enough, I've done it enough thinking, okay, well, maybe I've scared the elk away. And then you do it 101, all of a sudden there's an elk answer you, you know, and, and that's, that's kind of what I've done. Uh, and it, it's worked very well for me uh, as far as finding elk and calling elk in. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time sitting in one spot. My ADD doesn't allow me to sit in one spot. So I go. Are you is your camp on your back? Are you literally backpack baby hunting, or are you spiking out and covering ridges? How does that work? So I, I do spike out. Um, I don't. I don't uh, think that the areas I hunt, I I can cover enough ground that if I get far enough, I should have come in from the other side. So for me, spiking out um, is easiest, and then I have a light pack on. Uh, I'm not killing myself all day carrying, you know, a 50, 60 pound pack with all my camp gear, everything in it. Uh, so yeah, I just spike out somewhere and then I can hit, you know, six or seven miles in one direction anytime I want. And that's, that's plenty of miles. If you're not finding elk in, in that amount of area, they're probably not there. Okay. I like that. Um, with the spike camp setup and whatever, um, uh, does spike camp change at all, or is it kind of like you strategically pick out the most century located spot and then you can branch out from there? Uh, so when we, when we first started hunting the area, we are, uh, we kind of hunted it a few times and we didn't have a lot of success partly cause we didn't, we didn't, uh, learn it well enough, scouted enough. So I would move camp quite a bit, but now I've learned the area. I know elk are going to be in this same area every few days. I, I had, I don't know, four or five trail cameras out in the last couple of years in there. And I just, I know, like I, I've learned it well enough that if I don't find elk one day, they will be there the next day. Uh, so spike camp gets set up and I just, I just hit ridges in every direction until I find them. And I always do. Uh, it, it's just learning an area is very important. I think if you want to do it that way, uh, you know, if you don't know the area very well, then I recommend probably moving camp every few days. If you're not finding elk. Yep. Yep. That's cool. Um, you guys had crazy weather in 2020. Um, were you spiked out in that when you got that early <laughs> onslaught of maybe a foot of snow? Uh, yeah, that was ridiculous. So I, I was actually about five miles into an area, but in Colorado, it seems you get cell phone service almost everywhere. Okay. And uh, so I started looking my wife said, Oh, there's a big storm coming. And I thought, okay, well, storm, just some snow. And then I started looking, but it, it <clears throat> said, you know, 50, 60 mile an hour wind gusts. And I'm camped out on the edge of this old burn. I mean, it's a huge burn and I'm going, I don't want to be here. If there's 50, 60 mile an hour wind gusts. Like I'm, I'm, this is dangerous at this point. So I look at my buddy and we decide, okay, yeah, the smart move is to just pack up and get out of here for the night. Uh, you can't, you can't hunt it anyways. If there's 50 mile an hour wind gusts, right. You're not going to be hunting through anything. Really. You're just going to be hunkered down in your tent. So we, we decided to go out to our trucks that night and the next day I had to be home anyways. So we go home and I come back like, I don't know, two, three weeks later. And I talked to some people that stayed in there. And they said it was absolutely ridiculous. Like they thought they were going to die from trees falling down. Um, And I have a picture on my page of my buddy's tent. It's a, it's a Kafaru, uh, uh, I don't know, Megatarp or something. And, and it's completely buried in snow. And he's just like, I stuck it out in the area he was in. And he said it was the scariest thing he's ever done. He's like, I thought for sure I was going to die of a tree falling down. He's like, I could hear him everywhere falling. Uh, so I made, I made a good decision, a conscious decision. I felt like to stay safe, but, uh, I'm, I'm glad I did that. <laughs> 
So since we're rolling into the off season and, you know, there's several months in front of us to get ready for elk season. So people will definitely talk about you got to get in shape or whatever, but like there's so many ways to skin the cat. Give us kind of your philosophical approach to making sure that you're prepared for the rigors of elk hunting out West. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, I mean, depending on your hunting, but my, my definition of hunting is going to be back country. You know, you're, you're hiking in somewhere, you're covering a lot of ground. Uh, if that's, that's your thing, that's what I'm going to be training for. And that's kind of what I'll be talking about. Uh, but my, my thought process on it is the bigger your engine, you know, the more, the more blood your heart can pump, the, the easier it's going to be. Uh, you know, if you wanted to get specific and start talking about the O2 max, things like that, you know, how much oxygen your body actually uses that you're bringing in. Uh, that's, that's really important. Uh, you know, and, and ultimately the, the way to do that, to get it, uh, a higher level VO two max, which it isn't everything, but, uh, you know, you're cycling, you're running, you're, you know, you typically swimmers, uh, lots of endurance stuff. And there's, there's a fine line of, uh, strength too, right? Like what you're doing, <clears throat> you need, you need to be strong in the mountain still. You still have to pack out an elk. You know, elk aren't light. They're, they're very heavy animals. Uh, and my thought process, uh, is to try and find that line, like, okay, how good of shape can I be in, uh, cardiovascular wise and still have strength? Uh, and, and that's what I do. You know, I, I train right now. I'm actually training like, like an elite runner. I mean, that's what I'm doing. I've, I've got some pretty lofty goals for a marathon. Um, I think I can break, uh, two hours and 20 minutes in the marathon, which would get me pretty close to the Olympic trial standard. Good Lord. Uh, yeah. You know, and it's, um, <clears throat> so that's what I'm doing right now. Really what I'm doing is probably overkill for elk hunting. Like it's, it's not, it's not great in the fact that I'm going to not be as strong. I I'm going to lose some, some muscle strength. Cause you just, you can't run that fast and, and be muscular. They, they don't go together. Um, but I think you could say be like a two forty marathoner two thirty marathoner and still have a lot of muscle. And if you trained like that and had that engine and some muscle, I think you'd be unstoppable in the mountains. Um, and that's, that's kind of what I go for when I'm not, not in this training phase is how good of cardiovascular shape can I get in and how strong can I still be? Black Rifle Coffee Company, established in 2014. Veteran-owned, proudly American. They support two-way, they support hunting, and coffee is life if you're just like me. Head over to blackriflecoffee.com, click the coffee club, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE, save 15%, and have fresh, new flavors of coffee delivered to your doorstep every month. Wilderness Athlete. I met the founder in 2006. I've been in love with this company ever since. They make a tremendous amount of products, not only for in the field, but during the off season when you're training and they got you covered when it comes to supplementing your nutritional intake. Look no further than the Hydrate Recover, whether you want to get tubs or the packets, energy and focus, meal replacements, daily strength protein, brute force pre-workouts, caffeine free and with stimulant, altitude advantage, joint advantage, omega-3 fish oil, and a bunch more head over to wildernessathlete.com and if you've never bought anything from them before make sure you enter the discount code elkshape30 to save 30 percent off your first purchase vortex optics proud partner since 2010 everything from rifle scopes binoculars 
rangefinders, vortex wear, and backed with their VIP warranty, unlimited, unconditional. You break it, they'll fix it. Veteran-owned, proudly American. Head over to vortexoptics.com. Check out their vortex wear, fit for everywhere. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE. Take 20% off your scouting, everyday wear, clothing. And thank you, Vortex, for supporting ElkShape for over 10 years. Onyx Hunt, the number one hunting GPS app. You should join the millions of hunters who trust Onyx, including myself, to find more honey holes, discover new access, and to be confident and know where you stand. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE to save 20% off an elite membership. Get all 50 states be able to scout from a desktop and your phone. Everything syncs. You can go to 3D mode. Onyx Hunt is the cornerstone to all of my public land hunting success. Check it out at onxmaps.com. Buck Knives out of Post Falls, Idaho. Buck Knives has a wide variety of blade sharpness, lengths, finish, materials, whether they're serrated, carry systems, handle material, engravable, so many different accessories. Buck Knives has been in the game since 1902. They have a forever warranty and they proudly support Elk Shape. We ask that you check out BuckKnives.com and proudly support American-made knives that help you break down your animal in the backcountry. NUMA Outdoors, use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your clothing. NUMA has base layers, headwear, jackets, mid-layers, outer pants, shirts, and vests. Check out the Pursuit Pant, the Renegade, Quarter Zip, Pullover, the Palisade, Puffy, the Alpha Vertex Jacket, and the sleek lineup of base layers, Base Haven, Quarter Zip, Pullover, as well as Base Haven Pants. Wow. Okay, that makes sense. So do you know what your VO2 max is? (laughs) Um, right now it's like 70, uh, but but that's, that's during training. I mean, that's not rested or anything. Um, and well, and this is going off like my Garmin watch and they say they're within about like two, 3% plus or minus, uh, for, for accuracy. So no, like that, that's just somewhere where it's at. Uh, but that's also, I'm at 5,000 feet, which, uh, knocks into that a little bit because your heart rate's always higher at elevation. Uh, so I think, I think by the time I run some marathons this year, I'm going to run Eugene marathon, uh, rested coming into it, fully trained. I, I bet it would be pretty close to like 75. Uh, so yeah, it's, um, it's going to be up there, but, but again, it's not everything. And one thing I've really talked about, and this is for like countries in general, when you're hunting, you're hiking, right? You're, you're going up a trail. Uh, so ultimately to make things easier, it's, it's how easy can your body move? You know, are you fighting yourself walking? You know, how efficient is your, does your body move forward? Uh, and I think that's one thing where running a lot helps is it, it, it teaches your body to move forward efficiently. Whereas say getting on the squat rack, which yes, builds strength. It's not really teaching you to move forward. And that's a big part of things feeling easier is going, going out and your body says, okay, I can move forward very efficiently. So when you're hiking these mountains, okay, if you can move forward efficiently, you're going to feel, um, you know, it's going to feel easier for you. And I think that's a big aspect of running a lot as well. Well, I think the, the guys that are don't live at altitude aren't running. It can be a little bit intimidated that barrier <clears throat> entry to get into running or training. Some people end up just running exclusively for hunting. I think right. based on your vibe, you know, obviously know that's, that's probably not going to be your best approach, but like, how do you balance it? Like that is the, that is the, the, the crux of this conversation, Brad is okay. Right. 
you got to run, but you can't lose strength. You, some people's knees don't allow them to run or other injuries. Like, so how do you find this? What's the sweet spot? Oh man. Well, you know, you, you, you know, back to the conversation you have with Lane, I heard him talking about Brian Barney hiking up the trail. Um, and he said he couldn't keep up with him. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I kind of think about that and it's like, I, Brian Barney isn't some big super ripped dude, right? He's, I, I've never met him personally, but what I've seen on YouTube, um, I don't think he's a very big guy and, uh, you know, he packs out elk. I, I think there is a point where you, you, you don't need to be too strong. Like you need to figure out what feels best for you. And if you look at some of these hunters that are packing out elk that are successful, Steve Vernelia is not a big guy. Um, <clears throat> you know, Randy Newberg's packed out elk. He's not a big guy. Uh, you know, granted they probably use animals a lot now as they're getting older, but, but you don't have to be super ripped, super strong. Uh, so you, you've got to, I guess, decide, okay, do I want to be a little bit more to the cardio side or a little bit more to the strength side? Uh, and just watch it, you know, you could, you could easily see, okay, well, I'm starting to slow down a lot of my running. I'm starting to add on a lot of muscle, uh, you know, and it, it's, it's, it is a fine line. I, I don't have the perfect answer where you are, where, where you need to be, but I do feel like the bigger your engine, the easier everything else will be, how much blood you can get to your muscles, how much blood, you know, you can get to your legs and how much oxygen you can use is what you need to do, uh, especially at elevation. Yeah. I mean, I guess a good approach maybe would be a lot of what we say, just kind of gravitate towards which you suck at more. <laughs> so right. if you have a propensity <clears throat> to pack on muscle, look at, look at the barbell and you, and you get stronger. Um, but you dis despise running. You don't enjoy it. It's a struggle. You, you probably need to spend more time running. And then conversely, if you were born to run, you just running comes easy and naturally, uh, but you couldn't squat your way out of a wet paper bag. Right. Yep, right. You probably got to lower the mileage a little bit. And then there's people kind of in the middle there that kind of like, ah, I'm okay at both, but I definitely have to keep addressing both. So I think right. a good philosophy would be like, find your weakness and kind of tackle it, but don't neglect your strengths as well. Maintain. Um, and you even right. said it yourself, like well, for what you're training at, you're definitely going to have to sacrifice some, some muscle density and some strength right. to accomplish your goal. Um, but that's, that's, it's all in all, like show up in shape, enjoy the hunt more. Right. Don't, you know, you will not have a higher injury potential if you've decreased your injury potential through strength and conditioning. Um, elk hunting's hard. You signed up for elk hiking. Um, how many miles do you think you do in a 10, 10 day stretch in the backcountry? Uh, so I've only clocked it one time, but in 2017 or 16, uh, me and my two buddies, we did, I think it was 110 miles in nine days or 10 days, something like that. Uh, yep. I can't remember, can't remember exactly how many days, but something like that. Uh, and I will tell you that doing that many miles and actually being accurate with it, you realize how tired you are. You know, I, I, I've heard a lot of like, oh, I did 10 miles, you know, but it's like, it wasn't accurate. It wasn't really 10 miles. You know, I think a lot of people will go, Oh, I, I did this. And then if you actually clocked it, it's not what you thought, but a true like hundred mile week, if, if you put a hundred mile weekend, you are going to be toast. Like that is a lot of miles. Uh, and I think I've only done that one time, like that many miles. And yeah, it was brutal. Like I know guys that do it and it's, it's a brutal thing to do. You're signing up for a heck of a week. Yeah. And a lot of times you have like, you know, a pretty good load on your back. Even if you're going light, like you, what do you think your backpack weighs? 
Oh, I'm still probably 30 pounds, 30. I mean, by the time you add in, I, I bring a ton of water. Like that's one thing that I do not skimp on in the backcountry is water. I drink a lot of it because I do not want to cramp. I do not want to get dehydrated. So I usually have just, I have a three liter bladder. I have another Nalgene with me that's completely full whenever I can do it. You know, uh, food, kill kit, uh, the pack itself. I don't know what the mystery ranch pack weighs, I don't know, six, seven pounds. Uh, so you've got to be 30 plus pounds, you know, 30 pounds somewhere around there. I mean, it's not light. It's not like you, you know, you take it off, you'll notice that it's, you know, it's gone. Uh, so a week of a hundred mile week with 25, 30 pounds on your back. That that's, that's a week off trail. Heck yeah. Baku e-bikes. These guys provide awesome e-bikes for the mountains. I use them out west, specifically logging roads. They have more torque than any other e-bike competitor. They're built for hunters by hunters. They're an awesome brand to work with out of Salt Lake City. Check them out at Baku.com. BlackOvis.com is where I buy all my hunting gear. I have a discount code that I use myself. It is elk shape. It takes 10% off. Their shipping is fast and free. Their selection is vast and deep. Go to blackovis.com. Check out their full lineup of clothing, footwear, optics, archery, arrows, camping, and all the brands. Spy Point Trail Cameras, the world's number one cellular trail camera brand. Extremely affordable. My favorite is the Link Micro LTE, the smallest best value camera, dependable, reliable. Go to spypoint.com and check out all their options when it comes to trail cameras and accessories. Kafaru International, my good homeboy, Aaron Snyder and Frank the Tank. These guys are American made, 100%. I typically use the Hoodlum, the 22 mag or the Striker XL in the backcountry. The frame is second to none. Head over to Kufaru International. Be sure to check out their packs, their frames, tents, shelters, sleeping systems, stoves, lots of accessories, as well as closeouts. You won't be disappointed. Matthews Archery. Introducing the all-new V3X. You have a 29 and 33 option. These guys are out of Sparta, Wisconsin. Head over to MatthewsInc.com. Click the bow builder and start customizing your next awesome bow hunting rig. Crispy USA. Head over to crispyus.com, peruse the vast selection of awesome boots from mountaineering, backpacking, and of course, my favorite, the Colorado GTX for elk hunting. There are also some good options for everyday wear, like my daily driver, the Ativa Mid GTX. And then if you're into stocking like I am, look no further than the Laponia GTX. Check out the core boot lineup. Everything starts from the ground up on your next adventure. Choose wisely. Be sure to check out crispyus.com. Yeah, it is. And then if you're fortunate enough to get an elk killed in the backcountry, you know, there's options there. But a lot of times it seems like for me, the, the, the toughest thing that I've had to, to go through over the last 20 years of elk hunting is, man, I would say a good chunk of those elk, the majority were, were elk that are dead that I'm looking at and going, okay, there is no one else here to help you out. Like you got to start breaking right. this thing down and you got to start figuring out how to get it out of here without losing meat. And the temperatures can be really hot in September. It seems like it's a, it's a trend. It's getting hotter right. and smokier every year. Right. Um, I have only lost one elk and it was in 2013. I lost half the elk. Um, I've talked about that story before on this podcast, but man, was that a learning lesson of like, just there's, there's certain things you should not do. And one is if you have any, if there's any chance of like you're solo and you can't get that thing broken down real fast, pull the guts out. I know, um, guys talk about the gutless and it is, I do 
I think I did all gutless this, this year specifically, but a lot of times when I'm solo, man, guts are coming out first. That's going to, you know, the hides right. coming off the neck. We're getting that meat cooled. And then we're talking about a really big game of leapfrog. Uh, right. And, and being able to have the right hydration and nutrition so that you can continue to pack it out. You know, I think this year, both pack outs for my elk were, I had a cameraman. And so I put that dude to work and right. boy, was that nice. But last year, I think, um, my Montana bull specifically, we, I actually self filmed the whole pack out and put it on YouTube just to kind of see if people, what their appetite was for vlog style pack out, man, right. people didn't even care about the actual hunt. They, all the comments are about, man, I'm so glad you showed the pack out. Cause it was, tw- it was a marathon. It was about 26 and a half miles. Um, Jesus. when it was all said and done and half those miles were with meat on the back. So, um, right. and man, I'll be honest, I was at the end of my elk season and I was, um, not able to haul out as much meat at it as I wanted to per trip. So you're like, you're literally looking at a guy who like tried to do hind quarter front shoulder and the rack. And right. I made it 50 yards. And then I sat it down and I was like, okay, we need, we need to rethink this. And I ended up doing, I think it was four trips, but, um, that's a lot of energy, a lot of water going out of your body, electrolytes. Um, so salt tabs, electrolyte, like what's your, what's your angle for just not only drinking water or do you just drink water exclusively? No, I use, uh, supplements. Like I usually use warrior fuel products. Um, I've just, you know, I, I, I don't know Ryan personally, but I mean, I followed his stuff and he seems to really know what he's talking about. Uh, so I'll use that. I'll use some noon tablets, uh, liquid IV, things like that. But ultimately I think just stuff with, if you can keep some salt in you, uh, and electrolytes, I think, the biggest thing is just drinking a lot of water and drinking it before you get dehydrated. So many people don't drink enough water beforehand, you know, even like fitness, like you've probably seen it in the gym, you know, you, you go to do a a hard CrossFit workout and those aren't easy. Well, don't drink water during, like you need to be hydrated leading up to the, the, the task at hand. Uh, so that's what I do. I mean, I, I, I use a bladder. I know some people don't like bladders because of the way they taste or whatever the reason. Uh, but I like the bladder just because it gives me access to water all day long. So when I get an animal on the ground, uh, and like you said, you're losing a lot of sweat, a lot of, a lot of electrolytes, things like that. I'm not, I'm not in a deficit to begin with, hopefully, uh, because that's where problems really happen. You know, you're in a deficit and then now you're going to actually really be working and you're not going to, you're not going to catch up typically, you know, you're not going to be able to drink enough water to catch up like what you're doing. Um, typically once you, once you've, once you've become dehydrated, unless you stop for a long period of time, you're going to stay dehydrated and it's not going to make things very fun for you. Mm, yeah. There's no arguing that the bladder is going to basically promote more hydration. I don't run a bladder. If I did, I would drink more water, but I'm, I'm just kind of have my system and it's is what it is. And most backpacks now have a place to put your bladder. Like it's almost like just a standard protocol with any backpack that you choose uh, right. and kind of go from there. Uh, have you, you mentioned CrossFit. So I think people understand that uh, I used to own a CrossFit. So obviously I, I do quite a bit of that in conjunction with other protocols, but like, what's your experience? Have you dabbled with any functional fitness when you're doing strength training? Um, no, I have never done 
CrossFit. Uh, I, I, and not against it at all. I think it's a very good tool for people. Uh, and you have obviously shown how successful you can be and how in shape you can be with it. Uh, I just have always leaned more towards the cardio side of things. Uh, and I feel like the CrossFit workouts sometimes take a ton out of you. And I just have never wanted to do that much effort in the weight room necessarily, uh, and lose my running fitness, um, you know, or at least run fast times. Uh, so I've always been more like your standard, go to the gym and pull-ups, uh, you know, just, just stuff like that. Your standard exercises that I feel strong, uh, that I feel like benefit my running a lot and keep me strong. So, uh, but I watch your CrossFit videos and they look tough. I'll admit they, they, they look hard. It's impressive. Yeah. I, you know, to each their own, but I will say that I don't have to put a lot of miles in with the kind of blurring the distinction between strength and, and, and cardio, you right. get that blurred, that blurry line where you're kind of getting both. Am I ever going to be super, super strong by, by doing higher reps or doing lower percentages of my max? Cause I'm under duress. Probably not. I would have to like really focus on strength to get stronger, but same with conditioning. Am I really going to get my mile time back into the fives by doing functional fitness? Probably not. I still had have to do my running, my intervals and get the miles in. Um, but if I can kind of stay inside those four walls and be really strong pound for pound and have a really strong conditioning, I think you called it engine. I like that, that kind of like idea of building an engine that all that is really on my radar. Um, and most of my engine building will probably stem from anaerobic intervals mm -hmm. anaerobic capacity intervals and working at off percentages of exertion and getting in that pain cave, being pretty uncomfortable, man. And I think we both share that. Like there's some suffering involved when you're trying to get better, when you're trying to train for a marathon and go, did you say sub 220? Yeah. Yep. That, that's, there's some pain involved in there. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, it, it, yeah. It's definitely uh, a different, it's a different type of, pain, you know, your, your long, long, uh, mental focus, a lot of times on these long runs, like I might do at some point, um, here, as I get closer to my marathon, I'll start running, you know, 21, 22 mile runs. And they'll be, they'll be probably, Oh, I don't know, 540 pace, 545 pace. Uh, and that's at elevation and just staying focused for that long, because it's not like it doesn't hurt, you know, because I think people get this idea that, uh, you know, you're running. Yes, I'm good at it. Okay. Am I talented at it? You bet. But it still hurts. Like, it's not like I'm, I'm running a 530 mile going, Oh, this is super easy. I'm just having a conversation. Like that's not how it works. Like it still hurts. And I've got to be mentally focused to do some of these longer workouts like that. Uh, cause they're, they're tough. You know, it's, it's a long time to, to stay focused. Yeah. The other thing about, um, you know, the running that you're doing is, the actual um, wear and tear on your body. And I know you're not just like, Oh, I ran 22 miles today at elevation, getting ready for my marathon. Like you're probably having a pretty structured regimen of to combat the wear and tear on your body. And, and so break it down for us, man. Like how old are you? How many miles a week are you at right now? And what's your recovery strategy now? So 33 uh, and Right now I'm building up to this training block. will get me up to about 75 miles uh, a week. I'm at 60, I think I ran 63 last week. Uh, and it's, 
it's one thing you to just go out and run a lot of miles in a week, but when you're actually training, there's a lot more, um, you know, impact on you because the workouts are really hard and you're doing a lot of miles. So I build up slowly this, the last week was like 63, 64 next week will be, or this week will be 67 ish. Uh, next week will be 70 and then 75. And then I'll come down kind of lower the miles down, but keep the intensity uh, for yes. a week. And then, and then I'll start building back up again. I'll to probably around 85 in the next training block. That'll bring me through January. Uh, my first marathons in May. Uh, so by the time the May hits, I'll probably peak around 90 miles in a week because I don't think I'm ready to start hammering out hundred mile weeks yet. Uh, that's a lot of, a lot of pounding on the body and it takes a long time to, um, work up to that. And typically when people jump up to that many miles, they get injured if they do it too quickly. So I'm really taking my time, uh, but hitting on that real quick, what I wanted to tell, tell listeners, if you're running, uh, I think, I think we've gotten kind of bad at this, like doing more, you know, is better. Uh, with, with things like running like 50 miles, right? Like, Oh, I ran 50 miles yesterday, or I did, I did 22 miles. I kind of look at it as an elite standpoint, elite athlete, like have structure. If I can get the same amount of work done in an hour that you went out for three hours to do, like, I'm going to do the hour, like it's going to be a hard hour, but my whole thought process is like, okay, this is a structured hour. It is going to hurt for that hour versus kind of like, you know, just, Oh, I, I ran for three hours yesterday. This is cool. Like, I, I feel like there's, there's kind of this point of like, what did you get from it though? Other than saying, Oh, I ran 28 miles. Like to me, I'd rather go out and do say five by a mile, like repeats at oh god, you know, kind of like a, uh, yeah, like a blistering pace. So, you know, whatever, five minute pace, you know, or, or 450 miles with three minutes rest, the whole workout takes 45 minutes. I am done. I'm hurt, but that that's a lot more got done in that amount of time than just going out to say, uh, I did 25 miles, you know, easy. I had my phone with me. Like I, I, I'm not that type of person for me. It's, it's, I want to train hard. I want to hurt and I'm not, I'm not doing it to like, look at my phone. This is, this is training. And whether it be for a marathon or if I get to hunt, say I get to hunt four days elk, next year, whatever it is, depending on how family life is going. Like, I want to be prepared for that. You know, I want to be, you know, what do they say? I'd rather be a, a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Like that's how I look at it. And so when I train, it is to train and to hurt. Uh, so that that's kind of my philosophy. Yeah. A little less is more, uh, repeats are no joke. That's when you do the mile, whatever your time was on that mile, you rest that exact time and then repeat the mile effort. Is that correct? Uh, I mean, it really depends. You can, uh, you know, I'll do them on like a minute rest. Um, oh, I'll okay. do, yeah. Like I'm, I'm really like, I'll, like this Saturday, my workout is I'm going to do 12 minutes at like five thirty, five forty pace. And then I'll have one minute of easy running and then I'll go into seven minutes at the same pace minute, easy running. And I'll do that three times. So, uh, the 12 minutes once, and then the, the, three, seven minute stretches. So really it's like mile and a half on those seven minute stretches on uh, minute rest. Okay. That makes sense. Um, yeah. recovery wise, are you doing, um, foam rolling, massage therapy, myofascial release, uh, one of those percussion guns, so, like, massage therapy. like, what do you do? 
Oh, I have it all. I have a percussion gun. Um, I think the best thing is foam rolling to me. I, I don't, the gun works. Uh, I never noticed a huge benefit from it personally, but foam rolling, I feel like really helps. Uh, and you can tell how tight you are with that. You know, when you put all your weight, like on your calves, things like that. Uh, I stretch a lot now. Uh, got my wife, uh, doing some yoga at night. She, she's been doing that. So she like invited me to it and was like, yeah, I'll do this. You know? So now I'm doing yoga in the evening. Uh, I'm just doing a lot of, um, just, just foam rolling, stretching. Uh, I'll do ice baths, uh, anything I can do to recover. Uh, I'm going to try and do. Okay. Nutrition. What is a guy who's putting that many miles on who probably, probably don't weigh that much. I mean, you can't be (laughs) giant and, and weigh a lot and run 220 marathon like that's just still i'm still blown away if you couldn't tell but like how many calories are you getting in a day do you track do you weigh do you measure or do you have you kind of figured out a template what do you got going on there uh so i don't measure my calories but i definitely eat a ton so i eat every three hours um and i rarely ever waver from that whether it be like a huge fruit smoothie um you know every day for lunch so i pretty much eat it like seven uh 10 or eight, eight, 11, three dinners at five or six. And then I eat a snack again at night. Um, but one thing I really do with my, my nutrition is I don't eat processed foods. Um, rarely ever. I mean, I, I'm not, uh, so strict that I'm never going to enjoy food. Uh, but I definitely eat good, clean foods. That's, that's the most important thing. Like I'm eating rice and fish and broccoli, uh, for lunch, uh, for breakfast, you know, it's, it's, um, I don't know, uh, pastured, pastured eggs, whatever the chickens can get out of their fences are, whatever the hell that is, um, you know, that, uh, you know, I eat, uh, sometimes good, good organic, like turkey bacon. Um, I'll eat real bacon too. I'm not against it at any, any at all. Um, but just a lot of food that doesn't, doesn't have any processed stuff in it. No added ingredients. I think that's really important to do. And, uh, I did cut out dairy. Dairy was a huge one. I cut out. That was really hard. Uh, cause I love wow. cheese. Yeah. Yeah. It's the hard, hardest thing I've ever done. Um, cause cheese is amazing, but you know, dairy causes inflammation. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking to be at peak physical fitness for whatever that is for me. And if it helps, that's what I'm going to do. So, so stay at home, dad, when do you find time to run? Like I, I'm imagining you're getting up really early or running late at night. I don't, or nap times you're on the treadmill. Like how do you, yep. how do you do it, man? Uh, exactly what you just said. I do not uh, have any free time. So any chance I get, I'm, I'm planning my run, whether I can do it first thing in the morning, if I think I can get it done during a nap, I'll go at seven, eight o'clock at night after the kids are in bed. Uh, I just, I don't make excuses for not being able to get it done. Uh, I try and have a set schedule like, okay, tomorrow at 8 a.m. I can do it. But with kids, it's so tough. Some days that works, some days it doesn't. Uh, So ultimately, if there's a free moment and I haven't run yet, I'm doing it. Uh, if it's nap time on the treadmill, I'm doing it. And I think that's a, that's a huge key to any, anybody's kind of physical fitness is if, if you want it bad enough, you find the time, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You just want it bad enough. And I think once you've experienced a few elk seasons or maybe your first, you're going to realize real quick, okay, I signed up for, you're not doing strength training on the mountain until you kill something. Then you're moving loads of large elk meat off the mountain. But prior to that, right. the majority of your time, you're doing backcountry cardio, you're doing elk hunting. 
and right. you're going to have to prepare for it or suffer or um, probably not have as an enjoyable experience or possibly not do it as long as maybe you wanted to in life. And that's my trajectory is just, can I continue to sustain this lifestyle? That's I, I want to have every fall on the books, chasing bugles in the mountains. And uh, in order to do that, because one of my heroes just turned 80 years old, Larry D. Jones, one of the very first guys to make elk hunting videos, invent elk calls. And in one of his first videos, him and Dwight Shue were talking about how Dwight does um, triathlon training and had Larry's showing how he works out. And this is in the early eighties. They're making a VHS VHS tape of them training for elk hunting. So I didn't invent this elk shape wasn't right. invented by me. These pioneers knew that if you were wanted to elevate your game and take hunting serious, you had to show up in some sort of elk shape and uh, right. running's a great option. Do you do any coaching online? Uh, I do. Uh, you know, I, I help, I've helped quite a few elk hunters last year uh, with the cardio side of things. And I don't do it like, you know, set up where you're going to pay me. Uh, I just try to be involved. So if you're an elk hunter and are interested in that, uh, anybody, you don't even have to be an elk hunter. Um, you know, just hit me up on Instagram, send me an email on my website, uh, you know, and I'm more than happy to help you. I just love seeing people get in better shape. Uh, and I think, you know, you mentioned earlier that, um, there's a lot of ego and stuff in the hunting industry. And, you know, I, I, I just love to see people success, like somebody that's working hard, that is fun to me. So if I can help them better themselves and they want to, to take that leap and are willing to commit to it, I am willing to help anybody that needs help, you know, for free. Love it. Guys, you have to check out Brad, Brad Taylor, backcountry cardio dot com at backcountry cardio on instagram we're recording and talking about why training is pinnacle for elk hunting on christmas eve because we're both believers and fanatical about this gift called elk hunting so thanks for coming on today brad is there anything else you got to say to the listeners uh yeah just if you get a chance to go elk hunting enjoy it uh you know make sure you're physically fit it will help you enjoy it much more and I hope everybody has a really good Christmas since uh, it's tomorrow. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for your time. Thanks for getting on. I know you're probably, you got kid stuff going on, but enjoy your time. I hope to meet you in person um, down the road, wherever that ends up being. And uh, thanks for being so positive on social media and keep it up. Yeah. Thank you very much for everything you do. You, uh, you do a good, great job, Dan. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right, guys, separations in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that episode. Brad, thanks for taking the time. If you guys didn't tell, we recorded that on Christmas Eve 2021, and I've been excited to drop this episode. It's finally here. Go ahead and check out Brad's website. I'll leave a link in the show description. And what do you avoid? What movements, what exercises, what modalities? Where's the chink in your armor? Identify it, put it at the top of the list and tackle it. Make yourself the best possible version of yourself. Create more discipline through your love of elk hunting and let it bleed into everything else in your life when it comes to faith, family, your finances, anything and everything. Leverage it because elk hunting is a gift. You guys have a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for choosing ours. We'll catch you on the next one.